everyone, and welcome to the Healthy Solutions for Dental Professionals podcast. I am your host, Juanita Benedict. I am a doctor of physical therapy, a certified ergonomic assessment specialist, and founder and CEO of Healthy Solutions for Dental Professionals. And I am here to help you learn how to practice dentistry safely. for joining me. I have a great guest for you today. Aniko Ball is an Australian dentist who has been practicing for over 30 years and most of that 30 years was spent practicing in pain. In this podcast she talks more about her journey and how she literally prayed for an answer and found one. In the Alexander Technique, Dr. Ball found a way to recover her health. She also spent thousands of hours of training in the Alexander Technique so that she could help other dental professionals practice without pain. So in this podcast, we're not only going to learn about her story and her mission, but we're also going to learn some very practical tips that you can take away from this episode today and start employing in your own practice. So that's enough of me. Let's get started. Dr. Ball, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate an opportunity to speak with you and to talk about your journey and what you have found to be helpful so that you not only learned to practice dentistry without pain, but learned to manage pain throughout your whole life. So I just want to thank you for that opportunity. Juanita, it's my pleasure to talk with you and and give hope to dentists who will be listening to this podcast who might already be experiencing pain and stiffness and discomfort in their bodies. And that, that is my aim, to, to let dentists know that they can recover from and prevent occupational chronic pain in the dental profession. Let me ask you first, if you don't mind, I would like for you to share your story. How long were you practicing dentistry? So I graduated 40 years ago, Poro, <laughs> which is a long time. And I, already as a dental student, um, in my early 20s, I was experiencing um, recurrent uh, pain in my neck. Um, some days I could barely turn my head. Then you went on to start practicing in dentistry. Did it get better? No, it, it got worse. So I was a general dentist for 10 years, and then I became very interested in in periodontics and I practiced in periodontics for many years and also added dental sleep medicine in the last uh, 10 years or so to that and I unfortunately I regularly had to take time off because I suffered from neck back shoulder pain also I had a very bad hip issue sciatica pain and there were days when I simply couldn't bend over my patients as well as about 15 years ago, I lost sensation to my left hand, again, through pressure on a nerve, resulting in twisting and bending my spine. So I had a lot of lot of problems. Just curious, you said you had to take time off. How much time off were you starting to take? Well, there were times when I had to take off um, um, a few days, sometimes a few weeks, because I couldn't move. And throughout the over 30 years that I tried to help myself. I saw wonderful doctors, specialists, various physical therapists. I tried everything to help myself. 
And I must say, all of them were very helpful. What, what happened was that everything that I tried only provided short-term symptom relief, and the problem kept recurring. Sure. And in fact, about nine years ago, I was declared a hopeless case. And Did they say you're just hopeless? Yes, um, uh, the last physical therapist I saw looked at me, asked me to walk across the room, and and uh, he said, "Oh, you are in a really bad way. Um, this is, you know, you're a hopeless case." Oh. And I remember feeling terribly depressed. I just cried and cried in my car <laughs> afterwards, and I felt like a hundred-year-old woman. I couldn't even get to my shoelaces sometimes for months on end. I had to put on slip-on shoes. And I was destined to live a life um, on in, anti-inflammatory pain medications. And also I was very strongly recommended um, surgery, spinal surgery. Wow. I, I had um, uh, this that didn't look very good on radiographs and I certainly was uh, in a very bad way. So did you have surgery then? No, I didn't. Something, a little voice inside me said, no, that's not right. And although I'm not a religious person, I ended up praying for help nine years ago. I just kept thinking that maybe there's something out there that could help me. And within three days of that, Juanita, I found myself in a bookstore and I picked up a book that talked about effortless pain relief and it recommended the Alexander Technique. And it actually described someone just like me who was standing there locked, with locked knees I was reading this in the introduction. I looked down and sure enough, I had locked knees and I was in terrible pain. And so within a week of that, I started having um, lessons with an Alexander teacher. And in the second lesson, my head that often for months or years couldn't actually turn and specialists tried to do everything with my head and neck, I was able to turn my head. After the second so lesson. Yes, after the second lesson where I actually learned that there is a, a biomechanical design to the way the head should sit on top of the spine and the head-neck-torso relationship is, is very important and fundamental. And when I followed those basic rules, I found that I could manage to turn and I was astounded. I think that's incredible after just two interventions. And I'm sure you read the book in between that you noticed yes. such a dramatic difference. First, you could um, turn your head. Then what happened after that? So in several lessons, and this is one of the ways the Alexander Technique is taught. It can also be taught in groups. Um, I, I began to understand why I had been in so much pain. And I started attending workshops and read books and and. And I got really well and I got back into life and continued practicing. And then I found that after three years of um, having this growing interest in the Alexander Technique and realizing that I wasn't an isolated case, I thought that I was the one with the bad luck and um, body issues and chronic pain, I realized that most of my colleagues were also in pain. And I decided to undertake a 1,600-hour training over four years part-time at the Alexander School in Melbourne in order to make a difference to my profession. So, so I'm now an Alexander teacher. So you trained specifically to learn the Alexander technique to provide it to other dental professionals. 
since you had suffered so much. That is exactly the reason, because I got so much out of it, and I realized that um, I felt very strongly about looking after my colleagues, and I didn't want other people to live for over 30 years in quiet desperation and, and having to pray for help and stumble upon a book, which was my good luck. I, w I would like to place the Alexander Technique out there as a, as a way to prevent um, chronic musculoskeletal disorders in dentistry and, and also to recover from it. And so that was my whole, the sole purpose for me to train was to, uh, to share this with my profession. And I set up Optimum Dental Posture so that I can teach this to the profession, which I'm already doing in Australia. Right. So once you trained and you understood the ins and outs of the Alexander Technique, you decided to really take this on as a mission for your coworkers and colleagues. And you've set up, of course, your organization. And from what I've understood about you, you're taking Australia by storm and, and working with a lot of uh, key people in Australia to really bring this to the forefront. I know you've recently done work with some research as well. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, so uh, I am on a mission. I'm absolutely driven by a passion to make a difference and share what has helped me so much. And of course, um, what worldwide research shows is that 70%, 70% of dental students and hygiene students are already in pain. And so we need to get in a grassroots level. And so I have had the opportunity at Melbourne University Dental School just recently to conduct a pilot study, which will be written up and published to show that teaching fundamental inner ergonomics to oral health therapy students who are between hygienist and um, dentist, a three-year course, that it makes a difference. And this is a worthwhile training to include in the undergraduate curriculum. And hopefully, once this is included in one curriculum, in one place in the world, in a dental school, I'm going to make sure that it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's great. Uh, did the students seem to enjoy the process of learning the Alexander Technique? Were they receptive to it? They were very, very receptive to it. I made it fun and I made it essentially a user guide to the body. And, and also we connected the dots to everyday life. And in fact, some of them came up to me at the end and said, this was several clinical sessions as well as an initial training in functional anatomy and knowing where their joints are. And they said to me that not only are they finding that they're now sitting different and also walking into the student clinic and, and before diving into the treatment, they actually think about themselves. The fundamental message is that you are your most important instrument. Look after yourself as you take care of the patient. And I really drove that message in. But they said also, just sitting on a tram, instead of bending over, bending their spine, um, over a device, they actually remembered that they've got to sit on their sit bone and, and bring the phone to them using their wonderful hinge joint, the elbow, and they looked around and saw everybody else doing um, the opposite on the tram and they were very thankful. They could already see that this is very helpful and many of them who 
put their hands up as being in pain. All of them were in pain, by the way, in second and third year. They said that already by session two, they were having less pain. That's fantastic. Now, is there going to be a follow-up to make sure that the lessons that were learned have been maintained? Uh, I would very much like to, and I'm depending on Dr. Melanie Hayes, the lecturer and researcher at Melbourne University Dental School who arranged this study, and hopefully she will be able to provide that follow-up. And also, something new that I don't think um, I had a chance to mention to you, Melanie arranged for me to present last Friday to the academic staff so that they actually knew what the students were learning so that they could reinforce it and they were very impressed with the presentation. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very well done. <laughs> so, uh, I'm delighted. So you basically got the students straightened up and then the faculty wanted to know how to do it. Yes, and also what we didn't want, Melanie and I, is that if there were people on faculty who thought, and apparently there were, who thought that you should have your uh, seat at a right angle, mm -hmm. and that was, as you know, the um, old-fashioned belief about ergonomics, not to say to the students who are now encouraged to have their hip joint higher than their knee, not to go up and say, well, you should be sitting at right angles. So we wanted to teach them the absolute latest. And also I taught them observational skills so that they could look at a student who had um, an elbow up in the air and know that they were looking at musculoskeletal disorder guaranteed um, because those movement muscles of the arm are not designed to hold down the elbow. And um, dentists who are listening or any clinician listening Please take note, if your elbow is in the air, you are going to have shoulder problems. Yes, exactly. I even posted a short comment about that specific thing, saying if you notice that your elbow is in the air, you need to drop it right away. I saw that. That's so important. <laughs> um, that's true. And you know what's interesting to me, Juanita, is that when we talk about it and explain, it's, it's a no-brainer, and yet... My elbow was up for at least 30 years, and I had shocking um, shoulder pain. Nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday after resting all weekend, uh, I already had burning pain. And I never actually looked at what my elbow and shoulder, which both of them were raised. I never looked. Well, I think, you know, I think it's very difficult to do that because as a dentist or a hygienist or even a dental assistant, you're so busy and focused on what tasks need to be performed and completed that you're not really aware as to what's happening with your body. And until you really understand that you need to be aware of what's happening with your body and then also incorporate systems that make you aware of what's happening. I, I just don't think that it's done very well. And not just for the dental profession, I think that's true in just about any profession. But obviously the dental profession has significantly high rates of not just musculoskeletal disorders and dysfunctions and neurological problems, but you know it contributes to addiction problems, depression problems, suicidal thoughts, and I know uh, you had read something about suicide and that, that scared you a little bit uh, in dentistry at one point. Yes, yes. Um, as a fourth-year dental student back in the 
early 70s, I was um, shocked to discover that I was about to enter a profession with one of the highest suicide rates in the world, and that made me train further in hypnosis, which I only had an interest in because I didn't want to be one of those statistics. So I learned to relax myself and relax my patients, and, and I used to train dentists as well in that. And that has made a huge difference to my emotional and mental wellness and to some degree my physical wellness. I'm sure I would have been even worse off physically if I had um, the extra contribution to muscle tension from um, feeling pressured. So I learned some very simple skills and uh, my dental nurses used to almost fall asleep next to me because I learned to talk in very soft voice and relax everybody. Now, do you feel that once you learned how to resolve your pain through the Alexander Technique, that your stress level when practicing dentistry also was reduced? Very much so. However, um, I feel that the way I'm now teaching the Alexander Technique is way beyond what I learned. So, so the Alexander Technique is a wonderful skill for absolutely any field of life, any field of work. However, it's most commonly, it has been most commonly taught to performing artists, musicians, dancers. And what, what I found is that when it is taught to um, dentists or doctors, surgeons who need a scientific explanation and real clarity, then it's understood far better and also it can be very rapidly incorporated and I didn't have that kind of training and in fact throughout my four years of training and since I have spent a, a great deal of time translating the Alexander techniques which is basically inner ergonomic principles I translated that specifically for the dental profession and industry specific application of that in the clinic as well as everyday life so um, I'm now convinced that if I had somebody like me training me back then, I would have taken it even further because now I see very rapid incorporation by dentists. So, um, it, but it did even that, what I learned back then made a huge difference. So how did you incorporate the industry-specific concepts along with the Alexander Technique? Did that come naturally for you, or did you have to sort of work at it? Um, tell me the process behind that. Well, right throughout my training, I kept thinking, how can I make this? Um, how can I translate this for dentists? I, I went into my training, and I kept asking that question, and I had a need to be explained very clearly and scientifically. And luckily, there is a lot of uh, research now that explains why and how it works and I developed um, contact, I got into contact with a number of professors around the world who are into research about the Alexander Technique and are teaching it at a level that I need to be able to teach it and I've had wonderful mentors and then I tested it out, I presented at um, uh, Dental Congress in Australia two years ago and I keep looking to see whether I'm effective enough and I'm constantly refining, I'm taking the principles around the dental chair and I'm teaching inactivity so that it's directly applied and then I check to see how effective it is. So I've set myself very high standards 
I'm a perfectionist, of as course. most dentists are. <laughs> and, and so it's been a, a lengthy process. I, I put a lot of time in because I, I don't do anything half-hearted as I know you don't. And so I've gone all out to become very effective in teaching uh, the Alexander Principles. I, and I call it Fundamental Inner Ergonomics for Dentistry. And that is the entry-level program that I teach. And then I teach follow-ups. And habit change, of course, is a big part because once you know how uh, to organize your body, it's like conducting yourself from the inside out. So going back to that question you asked, uh, when I sat down um, uh, on a dental stool, I would make sure that I'm bending at the correct ang correct joints, not along the spine that's not designed for bending. And I learned the, the way that the weight is transmitted. There are certain geometry of alignment. There's a range of things. I knew how to turn on my inner ergonomics and effortless holding up of myself against gravity where I'm not pushing myself up, but I'm allowing my head to give a stretch to the deep neck muscles so that um, deep anti-gravity or postural neuromuscular reflex system is um, initiated. And I understood all that, so I applied it and I teach that. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really what I'm now teaching. Now, do you do individual consultations or lessons, or are you strictly uh, speaking and presenting in larger groups? What, what is your preference? What do you like to do? So I, I do a combination. Um, what I like to do is to take people through the entry-level fundamental inner ergonomics for dentistry, uh, which is a full-day program where I teach in a lecture theater seminar room space using slides and a skeleton and a whole lot of practical props to help people understand where their joints are, how they're designed to move in a gravitational field, because we must remember gravity is always pulling us down. And then in the afternoon, I take that into a clinical setting where we practice the direct application of that in a dental situation. Also at lunchtime, we look at, well, how do you pick up your coffee cup or your, or, or how do you hold your sandwich? Because whatever we do over the dental chair where we twist and bend our spine and compress, we tend to do that also around the lunch table. So I take it into practical application in life and also just how you stand and sit, as well as I teach a special restorative procedure called the active rest, where um, the participants lie down on a yoga mat with a head support so that the um, head is still a counterbalance for the deep neck muscles. And there's a certain way of thinking in directions of bone away from bone that gives muscles an elastic stretch. So once dentists have done this entry-level program, which is almost like you can't read until you learn the ABC. Sure. Once you know the ABC, then you can practice reading. And after that, I am, uh, dentists ask me to come out to practices and I can train individual dentists or a whole team. I recommend team training because then they can help each other because we don't see ourselves. And as you said, we're so busy concentrating on our treatment that we are not aware of what we're doing. And I teach postural awareness and I ask team members to tell each other, to remind each other, well, hang on, did you realize you had your elbow up in the air or whatever? Yes, 
Do you know, um, I'm finding the exact same thing in my coaching experience with dental professionals. Uh, when I work with a an office, and I always like to work with everyone together, the hygienist, the assistants, as well as the dentist, so that they are watching each other and holding each other accountable. The more information you're able to provide them, the more feedback they give each other when I'm there and when I'm not there. I agree with you 100% in that that accountability is so extremely important. So everybody needs to be on the same page in order to be successful. Yes, very much. So I also take photos of dentists. I took photos for the um, hygiene students and and encourage them to support one another. And then when people see themselves on a photograph, that's when they really see where the damage is occurring. And I really like um, Bethany Valachi's um, uh, name for musculoskeletal disorders, cumulative trauma. It yes. happens at a cellular level every moment that we are not cooperating with our biomechanical design. Yes, it's a great description as far as how stress and trauma does accumulate throughout the years, typically. But in dentistry, it doesn't typically take that long because as you mentioned before, you know, statistics are very high for dentists who are graduating with musculoskeletal pain. They don't even have to start practicing yet before they're having pain. There's something in their system, right? There's something in the educational system that needs to be developed. Uh, part of the foundation is missing. Very much so. And for young dentists who are listening, the, the statistics for the younger dentists are much worse mm -hmm. than my generation because I didn't grow up bending over a mobile phone. And so we're finding that young dentists are in pain much earlier. And yes, so to be careful, to remember that you want to bring the phone to you. You don't want to, br you don't want to bend your spine to the phone. Yes, I have a blog that talks about five everyday habits that can co be contributing to your pain in dentistry. And the phone is absolutely one of those um, contributors, especially for younger dentists. And even for, for older dentists who are just addicted to the technology that we have now. <laughs> um, and it's easy to do. Yes. <laughs> but, okay. Yes. In the, in the study at the dental school recently, we also spent time at the computer because there are habits in the surgery on the computer and outside the surgery on computer that contribute to the problems. Yes. The Alexander Technique is obviously a physical technique and a very practical one that you're able to apply in your dental practice. And you call that the inner ergonomics. And I've told you before, but I just love that term. I think it's just fantastic and so descriptive of the awareness that needs to be created in order to learn how to practice dentistry without pain. Uh, what do you think about the outer ergonomics, and, and how does that really contribute to the inner ergonomics? That's a really good question, and I just want to add one more thing. The Alexander technique is a psychophysical technique, so it's not purely physical because we're a body-mind, and, and so it takes in the whole system, and that, it, and that we function in a gravitational field. 
So what I realized again very early on during my training when I was thinking about how to take this to my profession so I can make a difference, I realized that all the research and development in dental ergonomics has been about the outer, the furniture, the equipment. And so I realized that what I'm talking about is how to conduct yourself from the inside out, and that's the inner ergonomics. And what I now realize, because I've been looking at the outer ergonomics, is that the outer ergonomics is very important, just as important, and, and that it's essential that dentists are working with a well-designed dental chair for the patient and also a well-designed stool for themselves, and that the, um, the delivery system where the various hand pieces and triplex hang off, you know, the air and water blower yes. that they are, and, and the bracket tray, that everything is designed in such a way that it's easy reach, there isn't a pullback. And so it is very important. And I'm now in the process of finding a dental stool that I can highly recommend because I'm, I'm seeing that many dental stools are claimed to be ergonomically designed and they're not taking into account how your body is meant to be in a forward bend because dentists work in a forward bend. And so it is extremely important. It needs to, the seat for the dentist needs to be firm and it needs to have a five degree angle and really good height adjustment, mustn't force the thighs too far apart. And the patient chair must have a very thin back so the dentist can, or the clinician and the assistant can get their knees underneath without having to twist and bend. Yes, and the cushioning on the patient chair the nice cushy patient chairs aren't always the most ergonomic friendly for the practitioners because it increases the demand for shoulder movement, whereas a thinner chair is actually more appropriate. Did you have yes, you found yes, that too? Absolutely. And in fact, I mentioned earlier that I lost sensation to my left hand 15 years ago or so. Well, that was after I was working with a, a very bulky chair and I couldn't get around properly. It was bulky in many dimensions. And in fact, I ended up leaving. And I recommend any listeners, if you find yourself in a practice where the equipment is bulky, not well designed, leave. You only have one precious spine, one precious life. That's good information. That's good advice. And, you know. <laughs> I am an advocate for the well-being of, of people. Well, it, and it's so important, too, because you're right. You only have one body, and you only have one mind and life. And if you're working in a company that is not advocating for your health, then it may not be the best place for you, which is sad. Absolutely. And I say this to dentists, anyone in my programs, um, you are number one. In fact, I say what I wish I was told when I was a dental student. And I have had dentists who got tears in, in their eyes when I kept repeating my message that you are number one. You are your most important instrument. Your wellness matters. Don't take shortcuts with your body. And they said no one has ever talked to them like that. Well, sure, because I think the focus is on the patient and the patient comfort and, and what's happening. And that's important. But there's a line that both the patient and the dentist can be comfortable. Uh, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both. Yes. 
it, it needs to be both. And once um, once a dentist or a clinician or a dental assistant is properly set up, and this is what I train is, is don't just rush in there and sit any old way or bend any old way. Adjust your ch uh, stool height, adjust everything, have the foot pedal near you. Often the foot pedal is the last thing they get and by the time that they are ready to put a foot on the foot pedal, there's a blind searching for it and then a twisted position to find it. So I say, if you line up everything and then orient the chair, the patient chair, the patient around you so that you can all be comfortable. We tend to forget about ourselves. Right. So positioning is important, not just of the patient, but also of yourself and your equipment that you're going to be working with. Very important. Very important. And the little um, tip here is that um, the knee is not supposed to be going inwards when we are in a seated position. And what I used to do until I learned not to, and I see most uh, clinicians do, is that when the foot is on the foot pedal, the knee is going inwards. And of course, that means there's bracing and lower back issues. So I suggest that you look down every so often and check that your knee is not going in, which it should be in line with approximately the third toe. So placing the foot control a fraction to the outside of the foot rather than inside tends to discourage that inward um, positioning. And you, you would be very familiar with this. This is a very common problem. And also, because we have to be vigilant with the um, being, being able to step off the foot control anytime because the patient moves and we're operating a high-speed drill, mm -hmm. um, there's a tendency to pull into the hip joint. And what I teach is to imagine that your heel, the front of your heel is sinking into the floor and you're thinking of your top of the femur, top of the thigh going away from that and, and thinking in an upward direction for your torso, and that tends to lengthen muscles rather than contract into the joints. Very good, very good practical advice, and that's one of the great things that I do love about this concept of incorporating the Alexander technique is that it is very practical, very hands-on. Do you have any other tips that you could advise people who aren't quite as familiar with the Alexander technique, but maybe they would like to just try out one or two things to see if it might be something worth exploring for them? Oh, very much so. Um, so a lot of it, of course, it, it helps to, to learn more, but remembering in the same way that I was talking about lengthening out from the hip joint, the same with the arm, instead of uh, pulling back towards the uh, body. And this is what I learned as a dental student and kept doing for over three decades is, is bracing my arms against the side of my torso so that I'd be safe with sharp instruments and rotary instruments. And what I now teach is to actually release away from the shoulder into the finger rest and think of bone moving away from bone as I'm resting my hand or inside or a finger inside the patient's mouth or on cheek. Something I see a lot of, particularly among um, uh, dental hygienists and oral health therapists, but even some dentists, is that the non-dominant hand holding the mirror is up in the air, which means you, you have to hold 
six kilos or more of the arm up against gravity. So always rest your finger and then think of releasing into the finger rest and that will save a lot of the shoulder issues and let gravity take care of your elbow. The arm is not gonna fall off, it's attached, but somehow we hold up the elbow and move the shoulder up when they don't need to be. And so this will save a lot of problems. Right, not just with the shoulder, but also with the neck and, and if you have recurrent headaches or anything like that. All of that comes from that musculature that supports the shoulder. So keeping that elbow up is just tragic in so many ways. It is. <laughs> Very much so. And the other really good tip is to make sure that the front of the torso is not collapsed so that the width and length of the torso is, is maintained. And also, if people know and remember that the head sits on top of the spine at the level of the ears and that's the um, that's where the head pivots on top of the spine and so looking sideways uh, left to right or up and down from that pivot point the axis of rotation is between the ears and then bringing the whole torso and every and and the upper body forward at the hip joint and knowing where that is, and that's in the, um, in the, I always say it's the panty line, halfway between, <laughs> along the front panty line, and and bending there without distorting the, the spine, mm -hmm. that's the way you transport your head and eyes to the patient, and that you want to learn where your sit bones are. Yeah. And none of these are ladylike, and not for public uh, viewing, but you want to learn away from the dental situation and practice how to bend forward to get that coffee cup without raising the elbow and the shoulders, bending at the hip joint, sitting on the front of the sit bone as you move forward, having the head um, rotate where there is a joint for rotation and movement. And if you can practice that away from the dental situation, then it's easier to put into practice when you have to concentrate on the treatment. Yes, I love that. I love that it's a lifestyle change and not just a practice change. Yes, and what comes into the Alexander training and my training, of course, is that we're looking at habit change. So we need to, we will keep going back into the old default for a while and we just have to notice, become aware, and this is postural awareness or a colleague saying, did you realize what you're doing? And, and then change it and keep doing the pattern interruption, do the new, of more optimal habit of movement and posture and eventually that will be the new default. But it doesn't change overnight. It's not like deleting a software program where we just press delete. Right. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your website and what people can expect to find there and also the best way to contact you. So um, um, OptimumDentalPosture.com is um, my website which is about to be revamped and it'll have a lot more information. And uh, people can write to me and I always write back. I have a lot of um, American and uh, other clinicians writing to me from everywhere. I can advise and guide people. I hope to be traveling to America in the near future and, and training Alexander teachers. There are lots of good Alexander teachers, however, they're not trained in the industry specific area of dentistry and I intend to train them so that they can work with the dental profession really effectively and I believe you're going to provide the American dental, American um, 
um, Alexander Association um, details and they have a lot of good things. Now on my website there is um, a highly restorative activity procedure called the active rest that I recommend for any clinician, any person who is uh, experiencing any fitness and pain to do and all the instructions are there. They can lie down during the day at work in a break and at the end of the day and it actually decompresses the spine and restores muscle length and is highly restorative. So there is some information available. Sure. Is that what you were talking about before? The active yes. rest? The active rest, yes. And they can and find that, instructions that, on how to do that on your website. Yes, I have the instructions for what to do, how to think. This is called directional thinking, thinking bone away from bone, which gives the muscles a stretch and, and decompresses joints. And also there's an illustration of how to get up and down afterwards. So um, all the information is there. And I will be um, regularly posting information, blogs, and also program schedule, and especially when I will be hopefully in the not too distant future in America and in various places in the world. Well, I hope that um, if you make it to, when you make it to America, I should say, uh, that we have an opportunity to connect, or maybe it will just give me a, an excuse and a reason to come over to Australia, which is perfectly acceptable too. So. I very much look forward to that. I have no doubt that we will meet in person. Yes, yes. Is there any other information that you would like to share with anyone? I know you've given your website. I will have that listed on the notes page for this podcast as well as the link to the Alexander Technique Training so that people can possibly seek out a teacher. Uh, they can always contact you as well for dental-specific questions that they have. I would like to just give a little bit of explanation. So. All the doctors and therapists have got terrific advice. Um, the only thing that's missing is that it's a smaller paradigm. So instead of just looking at symptom relief, you, what the Alexander work is all about is looking at the whole system, the psychophysical system operating in the field of gravity, teaching how it's supposed to work and then looking at what's gone, what's gone wrong. And this is where, and I want to save people from spending decades trying to get symptom relief. And of course, all the therapies and physical therapists especially have got a, a great uh, role to play in the recovery and prevention. But you need to look at what you're actually doing on a regular basis that's doing the harm. And no one actually looked at me the way I was standing, sitting and bending over a dental chair. And so no amount of attending to the shoulder was going to help me if I kept doing the same old pattern and I didn't even realize I was doing it. So I give the example of if you've got a leaky roof, you don't just want to keep replacing the wet carpet and hold a bucket, you want to go to the roof and, and, and repair the roof. So this is where I find that the Alexander approach and that's the fundamental inner ergonomics in dentistry is looking at the whole paradigm and taking everything in. And then with that, often there is a need for additional physical therapy and uh, chronically shortened muscles may need stretching. There's a whole range of things that are helpful. Joining a very good yoga class where the yoga teacher actually knows where the joints are, often they don't, are all helpful. And to move, 
not to keep sitting, just any excuse to lose. Right. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Ball. Uh, I look forward to, to hearing the feedback from this because here in the United States, it's just not a very common technique that we use or that we're familiar with. So I look forward to hearing what people have to say after hearing all of the information that you just provided. It's been my pleasure to talk with you and, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and um, through this podcast for uh, the the uh, dental profession to learn about something that I wish I knew decades ago for myself. Wow, that was such a great interview. What I loved most about this interview was really how passionate Dr. Ball is when she's telling her story. But I would expect nothing less, because when something saves you and restores your health and your hope, how can you be anything less than passionate? You can find out more about Dr. Ball and her work on her website, www.optimumdentalposture.com. You can find the link to the American Society for the Alexander Technique at www.amsat.org. And those web addresses are actually in the show notes. And while you're out browsing around on the internet, you can learn more about healthy solutions for dental professionals, as well as read my blogs, find out about Ergo Coaching, and a lot more. You can find me at www.healthydentistrysolutions.com. I'd love to connect with you and hear your stories and what you're struggling with and what has helped you practice dentistry safely. Also, if you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Podbean, make sure that you do that so that you don't miss any of these fantastic upcoming episodes because I've got some really great ones planned for you. In the next podcast, Dr. Agur joins me to discuss how implementing ergonomic changes in his office not only changed his practice, but inspired a new business venture. So this is Juanita Benedict reminding you, until next time, to be healthy and practice safely.